I do sometimes get the feeling that God's got a great sense of humour. I stood there this morning and prayed for peace. And then immediately it's followed by probably the loudest worship session that we've had since I, since I came to the church. But wasn't it fantastic to have our young people um, joining in with the worship? I want to say a massive thank you to, to Chris and to Alan and to others who have helped to, um, to encourage them, to include them. And, um, and they've, they're, they're, they're young, they're still, they're still learning. It's not going to be perfect from the word go, but I'll tell you what, it was pretty good. And if you see them around church afterwards, please do um, just share a word of encouragement with them um, and with our normal worship band as well, um, just so that they know that, that, that we love them and that we just want to, want to really celebrate the gifts that God's given them. It's great. Um, it was also um, difficult not to have a little round of applause afterwards. But of course, it's not performance, it's worship. And so I was actually quite pleased when we didn't have a, um, a huge big round of applause um, because it's, it's, it's not performance, it's worship. Um, I mean, same reason why my sermons never get a round of applause afterwards, isn't it? <laughs> <clears throat> but do encourage them and, um, and hopefully we can, we can see them again not too, not too soon. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no. I mean, um, in the not-too-distant future, that's what I was looking for, <laughs> and that would be great. Thank you also to um, those who undertook the decorating of the Christmas tree. Um, it looks magnificent, and um, yeah, that can get a round of applause. Great. So, um, I'm going to begin... I'm going to begin this morning by reading an extract from a piece of writing by C.S. Lewis. I just wonder, have a listen to this, and just see if any of you can identify with any of it, whether it sounds familiar. C.S. Lewis is writing um, a sort of a satirical piece, and it's set in a fictional, um, a, a fictional country, um, but it's a study of Xmas and Christmas. In the middle of winter, when fogs and rains most abound, they have a great festival which they call Xmas, and for 50 days they prepare for it in the fashion I shall describe. First of all, every citizen is obliged to send to each of his friends and relations a square piece of hard paper stamped with a picture, which is in their speech called an Xmas card. But the pictures represent birds sitting on branches or trees with a dark green prickly leaf, or else men in such garments as they believe that their ancestors wore 200 years ago, riding in coaches such as their ancestors used, or houses with snow on their roofs. And the people are unwilling to say what these pictures have to do with the festival, guarding, as I suppose, some sacred mystery. And because all of them must send these cards, the marketplace is filled with the crowd of those buying them, so that there is great labour and weariness. But having bought as many as they suppose to be sufficient, they return to their houses and find there the like cards which others have sent to them. And when they find cards from any to whom they also have sent cards, they throw them away and give thanks to the gods that this labour is over for at least another year. But when they find cards from any to whom they have not sent, then they beat their breasts and wail utter curses against the sender 
And having sufficiently lamented their misfortune, they put on their boots again and go out into the fog and rain and buy a card for them also. And let this account suffice about Xmas cards. They also send gifts to one another, suffering the same things about the gifts as about the cards, or even worse. For every citizen has to guess the value of the gift, which every friend will send to them, so that they may send one of equal value, whether they can afford it or not. And they buy as gifts for one another such things as no man ever bought for himself. For the sellers, understanding the custom, put forth all kinds of trumpery and whatever, being useless and ridiculous, that they've been unable to sell throughout the rest of the year. And they now sell as Xmas gifts. But the few among the people at this time of year also have a festival separate to themselves called Christmas, which is on the same day as Xmas. And those who keep Christmas doing the opposite to the majority rise early on that day with shining faces and go before sunrise to certain temples where they partake of a sacred celebration. And in most of the temples, they set out images of a fair woman with a newborn child on her knees and certain animals and shepherds adoring the child. But I myself conversed with a priest in one of these temples and asked him why they kept Christmas on the same day as Xmas, for it appeared to me inconvenient. But the priest replied, "'It is not lawful, O stranger,' for us to change the date of Christmas. For Xmas and the rush distract the minds, even of the few, from sacred things. And we indeed are glad that men should make merry at Christmas. But in Xmas there is no merriment left. And when I asked him why they endured the rush, he replied, O oh, stranger, it is a racket using, as I suppose, the words of some oracle and speaking unintelligibly to me. But the idea that Xmas and Christmas are the same is not credible. For first, the pictures which are stamped on the Xmas cards have nothing to do with the sacred story which the priests tell about at Christmas. And secondly, the most part of the people, not believing the religion of the few, Nevertheless, send the gifts and cards and participate in the rush and drink wearing paper caps. That's a, an account of two festivals, both of which I suspect you can identify with. Xmas and Christmas. Well, of course, today, on this second Sunday of Advent, we remember peace. When we listen to Lewis's description of what he calls Xmas, we recognise it is anything but peaceful. That's the side of, the side of the, the, this time of year, which is frantic and busy and hectic, and there's, there's arrangements to be made and things to be bought, and we do have that, that stress that he talks about, thinking, oh no, they've bought me a present, right, what am I going to give them? I need to find something. And it, it goes on. Now, please don't let that stop you buying, buying me presents at Christmas. That's absolutely fine. Um, 
But it, is, it, does, it does play on the mind, doesn't it? It can, be, it can be an irritation. It can be a distraction. And so it's important that when we come to church, we put that to one side. And instead we focus on Christmas. We focus on Christ. Last week we spoke about hope and prophecy. This week we speak about peace. We love peace, don't we? Everybody loves the idea of peace. We believe in peace. People have died fighting to try to achieve peace. We often pray for peace. But what do we mean when we, when we talk about peace? Well, to begin with, peace in the Bible is sometimes different to the peace that we imagine. But let's just, let's just begin in the beginning. Right back at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, when the whole creation process has taken place, we see... At the end of the creation process, just before God makes man, he's, he's thrown the stars into space, he's separated the, the, the water from the land, he's created the oceans, he's created life, he's created fish in the sea and birds in the air and the plants and the trees and it's all great and it's lovely and it's beautiful. And God looks at that and, and we're told God saw that it was good. Now, when God talks about something being good, this isn't sort of a, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's acceptable. Good is perfection. Good is without bad. Good is, is a pure thing. And so when God looks on his creation and sees it's good, it's because it's pure. It's unblemished. There is nothing, there is nothing ungood about it. There is nothing bad about it. God looked at his creation and saw that it was good. And one of the reasons why it was good is because being unblemished with, with sin, having nothing bad about it, this was an image of peace. God's creation was a creation of peace. And then God says, let us make mankind. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Man had been created as the, the cherry on the cake of creation. And so, God intended us to live in peace. There's no doubt about that. He didn't, he didn't create two worlds that were going to battle for his attention and there was always going to be a state of conflict. He didn't intend for there to be conflict and friction. Instead, God intended peace from the word go. That's how the world began. That is how the world will end. There will be peace. But until before that can happen, there has to be the process of trying to, <coughs> to eradicate conflict. And to eradicate conflict requires peace to be put on hold for a little while. I remember watching coverage as a, as a small child of the, it must have been the Bosnian conflict, seeing on the news the UN peacekeeping force 
that were sent in. And even then, it struck me as an odd phrase, a peacekeeping force. The two seem to be a contradiction in terms. And yet, peace is something that has to be fought for. Peace is something that has to be guarded and protected in order for peace to remain. But of course, when we talk about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, when we talk about peace in the Bible, we mustn't make the mistake of only thinking of the, the Eden-like peace, where everything lives in harmony and unity, where there is no conflict. Today, I want us to give some thought to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary is a remarkable character in the Bible. Mary was a remarkable young lady. That goes without saying, she was chosen by God to carry Jesus in her womb. She was set apart for that purpose. But let's just remind ourselves of the, the circumstances of that, of that time. You see, Mary was, she was chosen by God. She was not married. We know she wasn't married. She was engaged to be married to Joseph, but she wasn't married. And so suddenly, to be, with, to, to be pregnant, to have had sexual relations outside of marriage, under strict law, Jewish law, the law that God gave to Moses in the, the Old Testament, under strict law, she should have been stoned to death. She's created a sin. She's committed a sin. This is, this is, this is punishable. And then she explains it away in the only way she could, by saying, hey, this wasn't me, this was God. This is the Son of God. Well, of course, this would have sounded crazy Absolutely crazy to, to her friends, her family, the Pharisees at the temple. This was blasphemy, which is another sin for which you can be stoned to death. Mary has to face Joseph. She has to face rejection. Now, we know the story. We know that she wasn't rejected, but there would have been a time where she was terrified of being alone at best in the world possibly facing the harshest, most cruel death that she could have contemplated at the time. Peace is not something that we might associate with someone in that position. And yet when we look at Scripture, we see an example in Mary of biblical peace. Mary had a rough ride. Mary had a difficult time. When she saw the angel appear in front of her, we know that when the, when the shepherds saw the angel appear, they were terrified. Seeing an angel is not a, is not a pleasant thing in, this, in these circumstances. Now, whatever your theology of angels might be, the Bible says that it was a terrifying thing to suddenly see God's representative standing there, shining with his glory. Terrifying. And then Mary receives the news that she's going to be She's been chosen to carry the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, the one who will, who's going to fulfill all the, the, the promises and prophecies in the line of David, who will sit on, sit on the throne 
Mary says, how, how will this be? I'm, I'm still a virgin. This, this, can't, this physically can't happen. This is impossible. But the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Son of God. Now we read this now and we're so familiar with the Christmas narrative. We're so familiar with these scriptures. And because everything that happened after this is embedded in us and we know it's going to be okay, we kind of read those without the, without the, the, the emotional response, without the sense of trepidation and fear and terror that would have, been, would have been inside Mary. And so we can lose sight of the fact that she comes out with one of the most astonishing, one of the most faithful responses that, that she possibly could have, that anybody could have. When she replies to all of this news, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That, that's, that's it. That's her response. That's her response. I am the Lord's servant. Mary, you're going, to have, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to have all sorts of slander said about you. The rumors will probably carry on long after the baby's been born. Joseph, don't worry about him. We'll take care of him. You've got to trust in us. Your friends, your family, they might reject you. All of this is going to happen. Plus, of course... A lot of women don't, don't survive childbirth at this time. So you might not even make it through to see the other side of the birth. You've got to trust in me. Mary has got every right to run a mile, to reject everything, to go, why me, Lord, why me, no! But she doesn't. You see, Mary carries with her even before the angel has appeared to her, maybe the reason why God chose her in the first place, she carries in her such a deep-seated peace. And that peace comes from an even deeper-seated faith in God. So that when the angel appears to her, the faith overcomes the fear. And when she hears this news, the peace is what comes to the surface, not the terror or anything else. There is no other thought. She surrenders herself completely to God. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the next thing we hear from Mary, having had this, this huge bombshell dropped upon her, is Mary's song. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46, we read, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She has this outpouring of worship and praise and gratitude because of what God has chosen her to do. Sometimes when God calls us to do things, it can feel pretty terrifying. We can think, well, I, I, I know it just feels right. I feel that this is what God's calling me to do, but it's going to mean that I'm, I'm sacrificing so much else. I'm, I'm 
I'm turning my back on, on opportunity and, and all these things that, that I've always thought I'd get. And suddenly, suddenly God's calling me. Well, if we've got peace in us, then we're at peace with that. The only time that we're not at peace is when we're not following God. Peace in the Bible is, is, is an acute awareness of the presence of God within us. An acute awareness of when God is prompting us to, to do something, to explore an opportunity that perhaps we might have left alone, were it not for the, the rightness that we feel, the peace that we feel. So when we look at the character of Mary, we see someone who is going through this dreadful storm. We see someone who is who's got every right to be screaming and shouting and lashing out and and rejecting God and trying to find a way out of this, just like when we see Jonah, when Jonah is called by God to serve a specific purpose, he runs a mile. Again, it's easy for us to criticise, but to be honest, I would have done the same thing if I was him. But God brings him back. And then he recognises God's calling. He recognises God's protection. And he does the right thing, and he follows God's leading in his life. But Mary stands without having to do that. Mary knows this peace in the middle of the the storm that she's going through. And let's not think that it was an easy path, an easy journey. Let's not think that the rumors and the, the, the slander weren't there. Let's not think that she lived in a bubble. It would have been hard. but she had that peace in her. Jesus himself taught about peace. In John 14, he speaks about peace as as a gift. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. So this this is a peace that comes from Jesus, specifically from Jesus But he makes a point of saying, I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't expect this peace to be the the peace that, that the world knows. This won't be a peace from military conflict. The Romans aren't going to suddenly disappear. This won't be peace from, from judgment and condemnation from the, 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 the legalistic Pharisees. This won't be peace from your boss at work who set you an unachievable deadline and will then give you grief when you don't meet it. This isn't going to be peace from the, the stress and pressure of knowing that, that the cost of things are going up and you're, you, you're not earning any more money and it's a, it, you don't know how you're going to pay the bills and feed the family and put a roof over your head. It's not going to be a peace that solves all those problems. But do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, the peace that Jesus leaves us is the peace that allows the one arrested unfairly to say to his companion who's ready to draw a sword and hack them to pieces, no, no. It's the peace that allows one nailed to a cross to say, Father, forgive them. It's the peace of someone who, without deserving, willingly went to crucifixion because of his love for the people that that he knew. And that wasn't just the disciples. That wasn't just the people in Jerusalem at that time. He was the son of God. He knows you and me. 
He went to the cross for us. And he took with him that peace, that peace that came from knowing that he was serving God. In Gethsemane, the night before those events took place, he prays, Lord, take this cup of suffering from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, Lord, I, I, I don't want to go through with this. It's going to hurt. It's going to be horrific. I'm going to be mocked and I'm going to be stripped and I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be broken and I'm going to be bleeding and I'm going to die and it's going to be painful and slow. Lord, please take this cup of suffering from me. And yet, that's my will. It's not about my will. Your will be done. If it is your will that I go through with this, then I trust in you. And I'm at peace with that. Mary, on her knees praying, she glorifies God because she's at peace with knowing that following God, no matter what the, the earthly path might look like, following God is the most wholesome, most righteous thing that she could do with her life. But of course, this peace doesn't come easy. Jesus himself, um, often when he was faced with big crowds, he took himself away. In Luke 5, verse 16, we're told Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see, this is Jesus, the Son of God, setting us the example. When we're going through a storm in life, whatever that might look like, and you might be in the midst of one right now, I'd encourage you to, to, to take time out, no matter how difficult it might be, find a way of taking time out where you can just quietly shut out the noise and pray. It might be going out into walking along a beach somewhere, it might be walking along in a woods, or it might be being at home, it might be stuck in the office, somewhere. It might even be taking yourself off to the toilet and shutting the door and thinking this is the one place in the world where no one's going to come and disturb me. I'm going to sit and pray. I'm going to spend time with God. Because it's through maintaining that deep relationship with him that this inner peace comes. And Jesus himself recognized that. Because he was, he was fully God, but he was fully man as well. He suffered the same the same busyness in life that the rest of us do. Going back to the C.S. Lewis example, it's the difference between the busyness of Xmas but, and the, um, the, 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 the sacredness of, of Christmas, of preserving Christmas. Again, in John 16... Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He's just told his disciples in John 14 that he's given a gift of peace. And now he's saying you will have trouble. You think, well, hang on a second, those two things are they're, they're, they're a contradiction. It doesn't make sense, but it does. Because the peace of Jesus is not, I will solve all your problems and you can live in that sort of... that." that place of harmony and, and it's all lovely that in the midst of the storm in the midst of the storm I'll give you peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart because I've overcome the world 
I've overcome the world. And one day you won't have to worry about the, the pressures and the stresses of the world. In this time, know my peace. Cling to my peace. So if we go back to the readings that Matthew and Adam read to us as they lit the Advent candle earlier on in the service. See another prophecy from Isaiah. Last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 7. This week we look at Isaiah chapter 9 and we see these words. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, I said last week that the, the prophecies have, um, have a place in, in the present when they're first given, as well as looking forward to the future. This one stands out a little bit, because this one, the king at the time, or the king that some people at the time thought this was about, he wasn't born, sorry, he, he was born three years before this prophecy. He was born three years before this prophecy. Now, this prophecy looks forward and so it was always a bit of confusion as to, well, was it looking, should it be looking backwards? Is the, is the language wrong? Should it be looking, looking backwards at the birth of, um, of Hezekiah, the king? Um, who was it talking about? The titles, the titles that, that Isaiah uses are not titles that were normally given to, um, to kings in the line of David. It's too grand. They're too, they're, they're too, too, um, too high. It doesn't seem to leave a place for God. And so with this prophecy, with the, being able to look back at the nativity, we can now see that in this prophecy, the reason that these titles are too high for any earthly king is because that's absolutely right. They are too high for any earthly king. Because Jesus was a heavenly king. This was prophesying the birth of Jesus. And notice there that the one characteristic, the one personality trait, the one inequality that we see. The government will be on his shoulders. Okay, great, that's term of office. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Okay, so he'll be a, a diplomat. That's one, that's great. Um, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Peace is the only character trait that's mentioned there. Peace is the overriding quality that this ruler will carry. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So where, you might ask, is this in the world today? Really, come on, where do we see this, this peace? Because there's conflicts, there's, there's all sorts of disagreements, and there's, there's trouble, there's hurt, there's bloodshed. We're not in a world of peace. That's true. But the world is a far more peaceful place with Jesus in it than it would have been without Jesus at all. You see, Jesus brought a peace that he shared with, with his followers. 
We should be bringers of peace in the world. We should be the ones that seek to be the non-anxious presence in a situation of stress. In a situation where people around us are losing their heads, we should be the ones who can calmly assess and act. We should be the ones that don't retaliate and react, but instead seek to build bridges, seek to live in harmony with others. I don't think I've ever quoted Jimi Hendrix in a sermon before, but it's the first time for everything. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. Now, I don't know an awful lot about Jimi Hendrix's spirituality, but I don't disagree with that statement. Because actually, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, well, of course, what is the gift that was given at Christmas, it was the gift of love. Jesus is love. He practiced love. And that love looked to everyone he met like the image of peace. Peace and love are intertwined. If we, if we treat people with peace, if we treat people with, with that, without the, the edge that the world sometimes brings without aggression, without attack, if we have peace in us, if we share peace, if we practice peace, then we're practicing Jesus. The world will know peace. When Jesus becomes more important to the world than power or achievement, success, whatever that means, revenge, all these other things that motivate and drive people. When we can put Jesus at the centre, when we can look at the, the qualities that he brings us, when we can achieve peace, then perhaps we've achieved the goal that he's set for us. But let's not forget that peace is not something that comes easily. Peace is not something we can assume. Peace is something we have to work at. I don't know about you, but if someone cuts me up on a roundabout, I don't react very peacefully sometimes. Or if someone has a moan about the way I've done something or said something or forgotten something, peace is not always my innermost response. And I'm guessing I'm not alone in that. But what I do know is that when I have prayed about something and when I follow God's leading in my life, I can echo those words of Paul in Philippians 4 where he says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, peace does need a peacekeeping force Peace is something we have to work at, that we have to make sure that we maintain in our lives. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, the peace that doesn't make any sense from a worldly perspective, will guard, guard your hearts. If you guard something, you've got to be prepared to, to, to repel. You've got to be prepared to, to, to fight back. 
And if anything evil, if anything unsavory, if anything unpeaceful enters our hearts, we must make sure that peace is a guard fighting it away and protecting, protecting the rule of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. We are all a work in progress. None of us can claim to have life sorted. But at this Advent time, we can all pursue peace. We can all seek to, bring the pe- to be the peacemakers in the world around us. Because by doing that, we're ensuring that with our Saviour, there will be no end to his government and his peace. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom forever and ever. We're about to share communion together. But before we do, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you especially for the gift of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the example that we find when we look at Mary and her response to the news that she was chosen to be the mother of Jesus. Lord God, we, we, we thank you for the example that she sets us, for the incredible faith and inner peace that she demonstrates. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to emulate that in our lives. Father, we know there are times when we perhaps don't respond to the world as, as you would have us respond. and We ask for your forgiveness for that. And as we come before the communion table now, Lord, we we bring to you those times. We bring to you those things in our life that, that we know we struggle to treat with peace. Those times where we allow negative responses, negative emotions to get the better of us and cause us to respond in a way that doesn't please you. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for those things and we ask for your help in putting them right. And Father, as we prepare ourselves now to to share together these elements of communion. Lord, we pray for your blessing upon us. We pray that we may know your peace this week and throughout this Christmas period. Father, help us to separate out the busyness of the world and our devotion to you. as we remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us, of what Jesus has done and continues to do for us, we pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.
You may wish to use this time to open the communion pods. Jesus came to us in the simplest of forms. A tiny baby. And he left with us an instruction to do the simplest of things. To remember him. And when we share communion together, we are doing just that. This is an act of obedience to do this in remembrance of him. Father God, we thank you for what we are about to share together. We thank you for the bread and the wine that represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that we will remember Jesus in everything that we do, in every situation, in every conversation, and that we may be beacons of his peace in all of those things. So Father, please bless these elements now. In Jesus' name, amen. We remember as Jesus gathered with his disciples in that upper room in Jerusalem, and he took the bread, and as he broke it, he said, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, please let these things pass you by. And our prayer is that one day you will come to know him as your saviour. But if you are a follower of Jesus, let's eat together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. As he poured the wine, he said, This is my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's drink together in remembrance of Jesus. Father God, we thank you for Jesus 
we thank you for the gift that you gave us when you sent your son into the world. We thank you for the peace that he brings. And Father, we thank you that that peace is still growing today. That peace is still in action. We see that peace around us. And although we still see times of conflict, Lord, we know that the day will come when peace will prevail throughout the world and that Jesus will come again. So bless us, we pray. Be with us in all that we do. And hear us now as we worship you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.